and welcome back to The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind by William Kamkwamba and Brian Miller. We're going to begin reading chapter 11, The Windmill Comes to Life. The following afternoon, I began assembling the machine. I dragged the bicycle, tractor fan, blades, bolts, and dynamo outside and arranged them along the dirt. I'd chosen an area behind the kitchen, which doubled as my laboratory. The acacia tree provided plenty of shade against the mid-morning sun, and I'd also determined it was the ideal place to catch the eastern winds that rushed over the highlands from the lake. The first thing I wanted to do was connect the blades to the tractor fan. This called for a drill. So I went into the kitchen and stuck the cob-handled nail into the fire. And once it glowed hot, I bored a square pattern of four holes into the top of each plastic blade, plus two more in the center. This process of heating, melting, and reheating took nearly three hours. Next, I emptied the sack of nuts and bolts that Gilbert had given me onto the ground and started to fasten the first blade. That's when I realized I'd forgotten the washers. Ah, I shouted, frustrated with myself. Well, I definitely needed washers to secure the bolts, so I spent the next hour collecting bottle caps outside of Office Boozing Center. Once I had about 20, I hurried home, hammered them flat, and used a nail to poke a hole through their middles. Perfect. One by one, I drove bolts through each washer and tightened the nuts until all four blades were connected. Lastly, I wanted to make sure the blades were strong and wouldn't snap in a heavy wind, so I wired three-foot bamboo reinforcements to each one where they acted like bones. Okay, now I said, let's have a look. I stood back to examine my work. From end to end, the wingspan of the blade stretched more than eight feet, causing me to giggle with excitement. It was then that I noticed the compound was empty. My sisters were off running errands and my father was attending a funeral in a nearby village. Besides my clinking and hammering, the only other noise was my mother humming to herself in the kitchen as she prepared a pot of beans for our supper. The privilege of privacy was mine and I fell into deep concentration. The next thing was to figure out how to connect everything to the bicycle, which wasn't going to be easy. I started by steadying the blades atop four tall bricks like how a mechanic puts a car on blocks so I would have some room to work underneath. Then came the hard part. The bicycle was not only heavy but cumbersome, especially with a giant shock absorber sticking out from the crank set. But I managed to lift it high enough to flip it over, then drop the shock absorber into the center hole of the tractor fan. Quickly, I crouched down underneath the bricks and jammed a cotter pin through the other end, locking it tight. Finally, I attached the dynamo to the bike frame so its metal wheel hugged against the side wall of the tire. 
I strung the chain, which was coated in warm black grease, over the crankset and made sure it held tight against the sprockets. By the time I finished the chain, the sun was setting behind the trees and soon it would be too dark to work. I packed my tools away in my room, then moved the windmill against the wall of the kitchen and out of the way. I drew a bucket of water from the well and heated it for my bath. And after bathing, in, headed inside for supper. By then, my sister Rose had returned from the shops and saw me in the courtyard. William! We haven't seen you all day, she said. People in the trading center were asking about you. Well, today your brother was busy, I said. I told them you were playing with your medals to make power. Something like that, I said, smiling. Just wait. Soon you'll be in for a surprise along with everyone else. I ate my supper like a real working man, saying nothing except to utter a few well-orchestrated grunts. When I finished eating, I returned to my room, laid down on my bed, and was asleep in seconds. The following morning, I was awake at first light and ready to continue. My plan was to build a tall wooden tower for the windmill, but first I had to see if it even worked. For this, I needed something temporary. So I found a thick piece of bamboo, more than six inches wide, and bored a hole through the top then drove the other end into the dirt. I finished just in time to see Jeffrey ride up on his bicycle from Chapumba. It happened to be his day off and he was coming to visit me. Hey man, just in time. Is this the same project you were working on? Yeah, this is everything. I'm glad you're here, friend. Help me lift this thing. We locked up the bicycle wheel and chain to keep them from spinning then carefully hoisted the machine onto the pole. I was out of rope, so once it felt sturdy, Jeffrey secured it using long strips from an inner tube. Shall we? He asked. We shall. Jeffrey unlocked the tire so the blades could spin, except we didn't realize how quickly this would happen. In Malawi, the wind is never still. Within seconds, the blades were spinning so fast, the chain snapped in half and the pole nearly tipped over. Hold it, I shouted. Jeffrey and I barely managed to catch the machine before it crashed to the ground and broke apart. Once we had a grip, I twisted the pole and turned the blades out of the wind's direction. Then I spent the next two hours fixing the chain. The main reason for the test was to see if the dynamo produced enough current. I already knew it could power a small bicycle lamp, but what else? I went to my father's room and grabbed his international radio, which was forbidden to me, given my history with the family's other electronics. When I returned, Jeffrey gave me a look. Does your father know you're borrowing this? He asked. I waved him off. He's in the trading center. He'll never know it was gone. I jammed the dynamo's two wires into the radio's AC socket and Jeffrey unlocked the windmill blades. They began to twirl and the dynamo's metal wheel zipped against the spinning tire. For the slightest moment, I heard music. It worked, but a second later, black smoke started to pour out of the speakers. Oh no, Jeffrey said and ripped out the wires. The radio sat on the ground between us, sizzling like an egg. He spun around looking for my father, but I was too excited to care. Did you see that power? I screamed, jumping up and down. Did you see it? 
The radio blew up because the dynamo produced too many volts of electricity. Voltage, as I've learned in my books, is how you measure electrical pressure. Think of it like the water pressure coming out of a hose. The dynamo produced 12 volts when someone was pedaling like normal. This was enough for a radio or a light bulb to manage, but when the wind gusted and spun the blades like mad, it caused a power surge and that increased voltage and that increased the voltage and fried my father's radio. I had to figure out how to reduce it. I flipped through explaining physics to where it showed a diagram of two separate light bulbs, both being lit from a low 12 volt AC supply, exactly like my dynamo. Both bulbs were connected by long wires. One bulb burned very bright, because all because of something called a transformer which boosted the voltage and made it stronger, but the second bulb didn't have a transformer and it glowed dim and yellow. That's because without the transformer, power was lost in the form of heat on its journey through the wires, something called dissipation. Mr. Jeffrey, I said, since energy can be lost in the wires when traveling long distances, perhaps we can try this on the dynamo. I went into our big pile of radio parts and found an old motor. I cracked it open, removed the core, and unwound the long copper wire. I then wrapped it around the stick. 